And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck him up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh, and with me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing, or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. I'm Jack Barry. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Quit saying that. <laughs> I love saying it. It's so great no, and so amazing. I'm Jack Barry. <laughs> I'm Jack Barry. Hello, Justin. How are you? I'm good. No complaints. You never have a complaint. I love it. It's so great. You're so happy. All the your time. Hair, your hair's getting out of control, I see. It's just it crazy. It Damn hippie. So fast. <laughs> no. Goddamn Shit. fucking hippies. <laughs> it can't be longer than two inches or I freak out. Yeah. Uh so you got a you got a birthday coming up and I, I went ahead and I mailed off your birthday present, but in classic uh, Zach fashion, I'm not so good at uh, reading reading signs and following rules. I went to the post office and everything's all, you know, COVID up and whatever. So there are signs that say, hey, don't use this Dropbox, use this other one. So I went to drop off the parcel and I thought I put it in the correct slot, although it was the slot for small envelopes. So I put it in, it fit and it closed. And then I looked to the right and noticed that packages needed to go into this window. And I'm like, shit. So I tried to pull open the small envelope thing and it was stuck. And instead of going and telling somebody, because there was about 10 people, I just left it and I, I walked off. Um, so I'm hoping your package comes to you, but uh, I have the receipt just in case. So okay. I'm um, I'm not what you would call a good person for societal uh, signs or, or norms. I'm just uh, not very good at things. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because nobody reads. It is my job to write <laughs> all day and... Nobody reads my words. It's yeah. sad. <laughs> Even if it's a if it's a post on the Insta, well, all about this amazing thing, and all you gotta do is click the link in the bio. <laughs> People are like, "How do I get it? Where do I, where's the link? What do I do?" I'm like, "Motherfucker, just click the link in the bio. You gotta read." It's like uh, Seth Seth uh, or not Seth? Oh my God, what's his name? Uh, Jonah Hill in 40 year old virgin when he goes to the eBay store he's like how do I how do I buy these she's like oh you have to go on eBay he's like but I, I want them now I want to pay for them now yeah. <laughs> I just give you the money straight up you know I just want to I just want to take these home and and wear them <laughs> yeah no totally I it is literally my job to write all day I I'm a copywriter and I and it's great and it's fun but part of me just dies a little bit knowing that no one's gonna <laughs> read these words. <laughs> uh, that's me, man. I don't read things. Sorry. <laughs> yep. I gave you all the deets, and you chose not to read them. Stranger things have happened. What have you been watching lately? Ooh, so I am hooked on The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, doesn't your uh, your lady? Doesn't she like that show? Uh huh. Yeah, uh, I think Alex and I were talking about it one time, and I wanted to plunge into it, and ooh boy, did I plunge into it. It is an intense show, and it is oh so good. Elizabeth Moss is fantastic, and I am hooked. I'm almost done with season one. I'm trying to slow play it a little bit. But uh, yeah, I watch, I'm watching that. And then I also revisited both Bill and Ted movies, both Excellent and Bogus Journey. 
So, um, yeah, it's uh, those are good. They're classics. I haven't seen them since I was a kid, and I really enjoy them. What about you? Cool. Shit, man. I um, I I've been watching Buffy. Ooh. Which is exciting. Love nice. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Although it was recorded originally before high definition. So there's some blurry Slayer on my TV. There. <laughs> um, it is remarkable. The, the level of quality that that has evolved over the years when it comes to TV shows. Totally. And um, yeah, that's it's been it's been interesting, especially since. Just a show like Buffy, there's so many problems that could be fixed in about a half a second if the show were made again today. One being cell phones and mm-hmm. two being the automobile, <laughs> the combustion <laughs> engine. They walk everywhere in this show. They don't drive and it's fascinating. It, it always cracks me up that they they run out of the house and then they run down the street and they run through the cemetery and they get to this club called the bronze. That is the the most amazing place in the world for high school kids to go to where you can play pool, listen to music, dance and there's live music. And it's cool. Whereas I grew up in a small town with a couple of tattoo parlors and a video store. We didn't have anything remotely as cool as the bronze. And I'm a little jealous. that These teens get to hang out there every night, even on school nights with uh, the threat of danger in every corner. But I digress. I love every second of it. Very cool. Yeah. And I watched Suicide Squad. Wah, which wah. Isn't, isn't that good? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not a good movie. But um, I had tweeted and I got in a lot of trouble because I said that it crossed into guilty pleasure territory for me to mm-hmm. where now I can watch it. And it's it's a level of so horrible that I actually enjoy it now in a, in a mystery science theater sort of way. And um, I can I can take it at face value, which is not a lot. If it were a coupon, it would be worth one one thousandth of a cent. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're some kind of suicide squad. He said it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's so cringe. The entire movie is so cringe. But yeah, yeah anyway, I, I woke I up. Know. I woke up to about 30 notifications on my Twitter feed. After watching it, and I was sad. Academy Award winning film. Yes. Friends were cyberbullying me, and it was sad. Oh, I'm sorry, Ben. That's okay. I got over it. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's a Seinfeld joke for the one percenter out there. Um, anyway, this week, are you ready to talk about the movie? We're going to do yeah. Moonlight. Are you yes. ready for this? Yes. You are. Because you actually love this movie. Uh, came out in 2016. Believe it is a best picture winner, although we were duped for about 10 seconds before it was declared best picture winner. But we'll get into that later, I'm sure. Um, the movie is directed by Barry Jenkins uh, of uh, If Bill Street Could Talk and Medicine for Melancholy and My Josephine. Written by Barry Jenkins and Terrell Alvin McCraney. The film stars Marshall Ali, Naomi Harris, Trevante Rhodes, Alex R. Hibbert, Janelle Monet, Ashton Sanders, Gerald Jerome, and Andre Holland. A couple of standouts uh, there for you. You are pretty much in love with this entire cast, mm-hmm. as am I. Uh, Marshall Ali is just, that dude is amazing. In mm-hmm. fact, in this particular movie, every scene that he's in is just amazing. 
It's captivating. Yes, I'm glued to my television set. He has won two uh, Best Supporting Actor nods, or I'm sorry, um, Oscars, and for like two different films, and he's been in them, you know, maybe, like this one he was in for 20 minutes, and Green Book, I think he was in for like 45 minutes maybe. Uh, he is utterly fantastic. I <laughs> I just was so blown away by his performance when I first saw this, and that reinforced it this viewing this time. Totally. And you know, he's Uncle Aaron in Into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> it's not a podcast unless I talk about Oh my about God, it. you're right. Yeah. Oh, now I'm sad. Thanks for making me sad. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> God, I yeah, love no, him. He's, he's dynamite, man. He is a very, very good actor. Uh, critical reception? Are you ready for this? Hell Yeah. Uh, we are looking at a 98% on the old tomato meter there. That's, uh, that's pretty good. We got Lisa Kennedy from the Denver Post. Moonlight arrives as a gift, one worth keeping and re-gifting. And I always find that fascinating, too. When there's that movie that you see that you just think is so amazing and that you feel like it has become your mission in this life to share that movie with as many people as possible. For me, that was Dread. A <laughs> uh, little bit different movie than Moonlight, but I just feel like anybody that hasn't seen it should. <laughs> yeah. Dread's great. Uh, let's see here. Kevin Mayer from Times UK says, from the start, Moonlight announces itself as something different entirely. How about that? Hmm. Uh, let's see here. Who else we got? Paul Burns from Sydney Morning Herald. Moonlight is hard to classify, even harder to describe in terms of considerable achievements. Hmm. Mm, That's a good one. We'll leave it at that because we want to try and describe this movie as best as we can for two people that might find it difficult to relate and understand what someone could be going through in this this movie. Um, I am curious to hear your take because while I do know what it's like to grow up uh, and go through the motions. I have no idea what it's like to grow up as an African American who is gay in one of the harshest, roughest neighborhoods around. So it's hard for me to relate. Um, and you know, when we watch a movie, we try and find ways to connect those dots and and find a way to connect with it uh, from a personal level. And that can be challenging on a film like this, where you have to take a step back and realize. It's not about you and take it for what it's worth and try and educate yourself on the struggles that other people have to go through. Absolutely. And I think uh, Barry Jenkins does such a great job uh, with his editing and with his camera work of putting us in the shoes of Chiron. And even though me as a white male who who didn't grow up in poverty ridden um, Miami, I can still feel for Chiron and, and, and with the way the camera lingers and how subjective it is, you're able to get in his, in his head and his thought process for certain things, even slight hesitations he may have about certain stuff, like maybe going in the water, he has to make a decision, all that kind of stuff. You really kind of empathize with him and you, you understand that struggle. And Jenkins uses a lot of uh, stereotypes that, that we use in film and in real life for African-American culture. And he kind of subverts those. So where 
you know, we'll, we'll get into it more, but um, I, I think that that's the best way that he can kind of, we can vicariously live through uh, Chiron throughout this film. And I think it's beautiful. Uh, oh, I continue. Or do I stop it now? Or do I want to uh, the, the, do the budget? We need the budget. Do the budget. Sure. So a $4 million budget, not a whole lot of money in the grand scheme of things. Uh, opening weekend, you're looking at $400,000 with a U.S. gross of $27.8 million. Worldwide, you're looking at 65.3. Fantastic. And this is one of those movies that got a theatrical release so it could get uh, Academy Award nods. And then once it gets that buzz going and the word of mouth and how incredible it is, then you get the butts in the seats. Yeah. Big ones. Yeah, oh, they'll be butts. <laughs> Big ones. You know, just <laughs> yesterday, I was like, see ya. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Pretending I was leaving with Alex. I like, Cable Guy is so great. I love that movie. I know. When the truth is found. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, so uh, Naomi Harris had to shoot her entire role in three days in between her promotional tour of Spectre, which we also did on this show. Due to a visa problem, Harris is British. She's from London. You sound like I'm from London. You sound like I'm from London. (laughs) (laughs) The the scenes spanned 15 years in the character's life and were filmed out of sequence. So that's pretty impressive. Three days. Uh, this is the first LGBTQ film and the first film feature featuring an all black cast to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. That is incredible. Uh, director Barry Jenkins favorite scene in his film was an impromptu sequence of Paula staring straight into the camera over cranked at uh, 48 FPS. This was a last minute decision by Jenkins specifically intended to fully engage the audience with Paula's character. That's what I mean. He does a lot of uh, really great close ups where the characters are looking directly at the camera and you just can. I mean, that nonverbal acting right there. It's just it's absolutely beautiful. And it's he, he does a lot of um, he playing around with realism and like formalism and stuff. So, yeah. And uh, anyways, uh, Mahershala Ali won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for this film with less than 20 minutes of screen time. And like you said, that was great. Although his other really good role was in the movie Predators. <laughs> oh, man. I like you know, I, I was having like a, that's that's the newest one that came out, right? Uh, no. Um, oh, Predators Predi- is the one that has uh, that are on the other planet. Yep. And they're Tolford, like a, it's like a prison Tolford planet. Yeah, 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 I actually yeah, like okay. it. Yeah, I like that one better than the one that came out. Yes. A couple of years ago. Yeah. The Predator. That, is that what that one was called? I think that one's called The Predator. That one's awful. Yeah. Terrible. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Do you, do you want to hear a synopsis? Sure. Cool. All right. I wrote this. So growing up in the dilapidated housing projects of Liberty City can challenge the toughest of men. Young Chiron goes about his days just trying to get by and assimilate with other kids. Chiron's only parent is his mother, Paula, who cares deeply for her son, but is often absent due to work. After bullies chase him into an abandoned crack house, Chiron meets Juan, a polite but an intriguing drug dealer. Juan befriends Chiron and begins to teach him about life. Much to his mother's dismay, Juan becomes a father figure to Chiron. Although Chiron is constantly bullied, his best friend Kevin stays by his side, teaching him about being tough. As Paula begins to use crack, her humanity slips as she disowns her son. Juan tried to explain to Chiron acceptance of being gay, but he is much too young to truly know yet. Act 2 starts as we see a high school age Chiron continue to struggle with the societal pressures of dealing with his sexuality. The rampant homophobia and bullying that he deals with on a consistent basis creates a hardship for Chiron. Kevin is his friend during this, but Chiron starts to develop feelings for him. 
Paula's drug use has worsened and she no longer works and does drugs instead. Jaron escapes to Teresa's house, but Juan is absent as we learn that he had since passed away. Teresa continues to treat Chiron as her surrogate son. When Chiron escapes to the beach one night, he runs across Kevin. The two share an intimate moment of emotional... Ah, fuck, I'll, I'll skip that part. Intimate moment of emotion, followed by a passionate kiss. The next day at school, Chiron is jumped by a group of bullies, with a peer-pressured Kevin regretfully leading the assault. As Chiron recovers, he's had enough. He heads to class and uses a chair to attack his bully, resulting in Chiron's arrest. Years pass as we see a recently paroled Chiron, now as a full-grown adult, dealing drugs much like Juan. Chiron has grown in muscular size, embracing the masculine African-American culture that he has seen throughout his, his life. Chiron has a strong and fearful reputation, opposite of the pre-prison Chiron. Chiron gets a phone call from Kevin in the middle of the night, trying to reconnect with his friend. The past emotions of both men reappear instantly. Chiron then visits his mother at a rehab center she now lives at, where she apologizes for how she treated him and the two tearfully accept each other's forgiveness. Chiron decides to visit Kevin at his restaurant where the two talk about what they have done in subsequent years, realizing how much they've missed each other. Kevin then invites Chiron back to his house where Chiron finally is able to confess his love for Kevin. The two embrace and share an intimate evening together. Chiron follows his heart and has finally decided for himself who he is going to be. Did you like it? Yeah, thanks. So um, when did you first see this movie and what were your reactions to it? <clears throat> let's see i first saw it on saturday oh a couple of days ago yeah um what, what I, did you think? I, I, I thought it was a great movie i i it's pretty brutal at times and uh could say it's hard to watch uh, just because of the subject matter um like i don't like seeing people get hurt or bullied and that is about 95 uh, percent of this movie <laughs> so mm-hmm. Um, it can be mentally exhausting in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but, uh, so it's hard to say that I enjoyed it. I definitely am glad that I saw it and I, I think it, it is an, an incredible film. Yeah, it, I agree. I mean, I, I, def- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that for, for all intents and purposes, he, Chiron, you really feel for him throughout the film because you don't want to see him get bullied. And I'm the same way. I, I hate watching people get bullied. And I I made it my my goal to always intervene if I see anyone get bullied. That doesn't mean I'm going to beat up kids or anything like that. But I mean, you know, intervene for what I can. And I first saw this movie on on an airplane coming back from Costa Rica. Now, I had not known much about it other than it was then it won for best picture. But I did not really know anything about it, even even past that. Uh, so I didn't know it was an LGBTQ film, um, but I watched it and I was so blown away. I was sitting on that plane for the, the two hour movie runtime and just bawling my eyes out. And I was I was touched. It was it was a very endearing film and I thought it was gorgeous. I thought it was shot perfectly. I loved every single actor in this. I cannot rave enough about them. But uh, yeah, I was very glad I, I rewatched this. This was probably my third time uh, seeing it. And I watched it today. But um, that was my reaction to it, man. It was absolutely remarkable. I noticed that there's a lot. There's some movies out there that I will watch once and that's enough. And you will watch it multiple times. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know I'll, yeah. watch, I'll watch Jaws 3D 18,000 <laughs> times, but I'll watch Moonlight once. Suggested by the novel jobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's um, 
it's not it's not one that I would sit down and watch with friends per se, but I think it's one that I really get in touch with with myself when I watch that kind of you know it, it it's what am I trying to say here? I can tap my emotional side from films like this, and I prefer to watch them alone so I can really be fixated on it as opposed to being distracted to where I could be taken out of it. And for this movie, I, I I'm glad I rewatched it in this setting because I don't even remember the second time I viewed it. This might actually be the second time, but my first time I was on an airplane, so it's not the most ideal, right? This time I was in the comfort of my own home, but um, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, just, I always watch something that I've never seen. Or I always watch something that I've seen before on the airplane because I yeah. don't want it to, to be an experience where I would have gotten more out of it. Uh, that's, that's fair. Yeah. That makes sense. You know? So, yeah. Or I watch a movie where I call them airplane movies like Fast 9 or something like that or Hobbs and Shaw. Pretty much all the Fast and Furious movies. (laughs) Uh, So what do you think this movie did for the LGBTQ community? Ooh. I know it's a heavy question. Yeah, that's a a tough one because I'm not a part of that community. But I would say that it is an eye opener for people like me that aren't in that community and, and just understanding particularly younger audiences like or maybe even people that were bullies in school and seeing the impact that that has on people. Um, I think that um, it is important to to see movies like this because it reminds you that this is this is happening every single day. And, you know, bullying should never be allowed, tolerated or accepted by any stretch of the imagination. And now that high schools are more open to having uh, gay clubs, uh, places, uh, resources for, for kids to go to and talk to people. Um, I think just having that awareness is, is a big key in general. So I, I think it's been very beneficial and helpful, especially for folks on the outside looking in. Absolutely. And, um, you know, happy pride month too. It's, it's really incredible. The, amount of uh, acceptance and representation that that pride has done because I mean it used to just be a day and now we have the entire month and I mean the majority of people well all my friends are on board and I think it's so great to just learn and to have awareness and acceptance Uh, I remember the impact that uh, Brokeback Mountain had when it came out back in like I think 2005 Um, you know in high school for me growing up and it might've been the same for you. It wasn't, if you were, if you were gay, you didn't really say anything. And I didn't really know any gay people in high school. And it still kind of had that almost negative connotation, which is horrible to think, but it was also not as understood as it is now. And, you know, people would use the the F word in a, in a derogatory way, which is, you know, it's horrible, but, uh, I, when, when Brokeback Mountain came out, I didn't fully understand the film like I would today. And that's why I think that Moonlight coming out um, adds that element. But also it, it, it um, kind of breaks down the African-American stereotype that we have. And I think that he, he Mr. Jenkins had such poise and beauty in this. And um, he just did s- such a fantastic job. So, I mean, I think it's it's about representation and everything you were saying, like the acceptance and the awareness and stuff. I don't know. There was, to my knowledge, I don't remember anyone in my in my class that was gay. Um, I know that my my best friend in high school, his brother was gay, who was 
five years older than me. Uh, so I graduated high school in 98. And I know that he had a hard time in the early 90s uh, as a gay teen. Um, that was a that was a bit much. But I mean, he obviously um, got through it. He, he made it through high school, which is interesting because the politics that are involved in high school are so like life or death and, and scary that it is a very, very hard time for a teenager <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. to where everything is in the now. I don't care about next year when it's not going to matter because tomorrow when I go to school, if I don't dress a certain way, if I don't act a certain way, I could get hurt. And that yeah. is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Goddamn kids, man. It oh, sucks. But yeah. yeah. Um, so like, so masculinity, and this goes back to like, the high school thing too. Masculinity in its various form is, is the main antagonist of, of this film, Moonlight. Can you, Justin, define toxic masculinity? Uh, sure. So for me, my interpretation would be um, sort of praising, uh, you know, like strength and dominance and what it means to be a man and like uh, extreme Mountain Dew and, you know, something to that effect. Um, whereas uh, that doesn't, there's no value in that. <laughs> there's no benefit to, to having that outlook on what it means to be a man. Yeah, it is. It is. It is harmful to yourself and others around you. Uh, why is our uh, sorry? Why is our society so obsessed with masculinity? Uh, well, probably because for more than two thousand years, <laughs> everyone has has had this idea of what it means to be a man. I guess, um, yeah. and and it is a very narrow lens. And uh, you know, I've talked about this ad nauseum on this particular show, but. You know, I, I grew I was fortunate enough to grow up with a strong mother and two older sisters that taught me what it means to be a decent human being and to be a good person. And it had nothing to do with being a man. However, on the flip side of that, I can say that when there was a time in 2010 when I got laid off and, you know, I was married at the time and I remember feeling depressed in a way that I wasn't, uh, providing in a way, you know, like I, like I was questioning my value as a man because I didn't have a job and I wasn't able to give back in a monetary sense. Um, sure. I, I kept the house clean and I, I cooked and I went grocery shopping. And I did other things, but there was a certain side of me that felt like I wasn't contributing my half of the marriage does that make sense yeah 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 yeah. i mean whether that means you know fulfilling my role as a man or just as a partner i think at that time there was a very thin line that separated the two sure and i, I think a lot of it comes with down to vulnerability uh we're taught from the young age of, of not showing emotion and and be a man just suck it up you know don't be a girl like whatever right, man up Man up. Yeah. You know, oh, it yeah. builds character. It's like, but for so long, and especially if you're struggling to find your sexual identity, I mean, through this film, we see Chiron 
try to do that. And, and, and Kevin's the best example of it because Kevin's like, yo, I was banging this girl the other day, whatever, whatever. And he's acting really tough on this exterior, but he's struggling with, with his sexual identity, just like Chiron. He's just on an opposite level. Whereas Chiron is more introverted and he's, you know, socially awkward and stuff. Um, Kevin is, is this overconfident guy. And, um, it's, I mean, I, I, I definitely know people who were like that, who were like, oh yeah, you know, I bang this girl and I bang this girl. And then it turns out later in life, they, they came out and I'm like, why don't you just do that in high school? But I understand with all these pressures, we're, we're not supposed to be vulnerable as men typically. So, and that's not, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying men can definitely be vulnerable. I'm saying society for the longest time said we could not. Sure. But, and you know, I think it's kind of funny that a film about masculinity and withholding your emotions can make me cry so goddamn much. I was, dude, it was bad. I was like, oh my God, I had to stop it a bunch to watch this movie, but I still absolutely love it. Oh yeah. That's interesting. I I, I teared up so much. I know. I, so I teared up when, uh, when he, he gets, hold on. I'm trying to think now. Cause it'll probably make me sad if I think about it. Uh, when he meets his mother at the rehab center and she forgives him, she's like, you know, or he forgives her. She's like, don't have a black heart like mine. Uh, when he meets Kevin again as, as adults, when him and Kevin share the moment on the beach, but then he gets, uh, beat up by him. And just the look on his face and the look on both of their faces is just so much. Uh, when Juan is teaching him how to swim. I mean, it's a, it's a lot, man. It's, yeah, it's tough. So my, my favorite scenes, if I may share those with you. Yeah, please. Um, so any scene with Juan where he had a teaching moment, um, I thought those scenes were the absolute best when he was teaching him to swim, when he was teaching him what the meaning of that F word was, um, you know, when he asked, am I a faggot? And he's like, you know, no, you might be gay, but you're not a faggot. <laughs> and, uh, that was a lot to take in. And, yeah. you know, I always told myself that when I have kids and they ask me questions, if they're old enough to ask, then they're old enough to get an honest answer. Mm-hmm. And so I am just going to, I've always wanted to have that approach. And so I found that to be a very like a uh, important scene and very impactful. And as far as my other scenes go, our favorite scenes was, um, after, uh, when, uh, Sharon was getting questioned after he was involved in that beatdown, yeah. and the sound just cuts out because oh my God. to him, she's not listening to what he's saying. And so he just drowns her out. You know, she's saying you have to tell on him. You got to report him. You know, this will happen again. And he just immediately just shuts down and he's not even listening to a word she's saying. I thought that was very powerful um, because adults talk to kids all the time, but they don't listen. And I find that fascinating. That has just been like the theme for every like work of art since the dawn of time where we speak to people, but we don't listen. And it's, it's painful, especially when it comes to kids. Because you have to remember, when you're that age, it's it's everything is so important. It's it's living in the now, and if you were to tell on them, then that would that would ruin everything for him. And it's so sad. And you can scene, tell that he's like torn. Yeah, go for it. Oh, sorry. And in that scene, um, the one that you're talking about with the counselor, he uh, that's the first time we see Chiron break down and cry with everything that's been going on in his life for maybe the past 16 years. That's the first time we see him break down and cry. And it's so heartbreaking. And I mean, at that point, he's that's when it, it switches from him being the shy little Chiron to a completely different person. And right. um, which is my yeah. well, the next scene is my my third favorite scene. 
when he picks up the chair and just hits that fucker in the back of the head with it. I'm like, oh my God, dude. Like to me, I mean, it was sad to see that transformation, but that kid was the worst. I just wanted to shake that kid. I couldn't stand him. And uh, I, I not going to lie. I was like, fuck yeah, dude. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like you, you own this, and I yeah. was so excited for that. I mean, I, that that is what took him down, you know, a different path. And what's interesting about that is when you see him again, you know, he's he's dressing flashy, he's driving the muscle car, uh, he is uh, a a a new version of Juan, you know, and he has grown up to sort of have that same lifestyle, right. And uh, Justin, this is another reason why I like to rewatch movies. So uh, the way that the actors performed their their roles. So when on that scene, when he's walking into the uh, to go beat up that bully with the chair, he has a a moment of hesitation as he's walking where he kind of slows down and he stops and kind of blinks. And it's 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 hard to see, but I I definitely noticed it where he's second guessing, like, holy shit, am I going to do this? And then he does it. And I think that that's so amazing because there's a lot of there's a lot of that in the film and you just kind of have to look for those moments. But you can see that he's working things out in his head and he's trying to decide who he wants to be. And um, yeah, those are great scenes. I completely agree agree with you. And and that is interesting with that with that um, that moment where he where he stalls for a second because it's like it's it's like he's waiting for that adrenaline to kick in and. And I think you and I can both relate to that adrenaline rush when it came to um, loss prevention. And when it was on, when we had to go grab somebody, I I always felt so goddamn jacked that it was going to take a freight train to stop me because I was I was scared in a way, but a good scared to where I was like, oh, man, this is this is it. <laughs> and it's, it's like when you're about to get on a ride at a roller coaster and you're scared in line. Once you're on it, it's fine. But when you're the next person to get on that roller coaster, you're like, fuck, am I going to get on this thing? <laughs> and you get scared. It's so funny how that happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's it just take it takes you over, man. Uh, so along the lines of that, when he's teaching him to swim, I thought that that was probably my favorite moment in the film because you you see this fatherly figure of, of Juan teaching Chiron and, and taking him somewhere where he'd probably never been to the ocean because he didn't know how to swim. And he, from what it looks like, didn't grow up with a father. So Juan is 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 teaching him about acceptance. And when um, when uh, sorry about that, when he has to make the decision to go in the water, he hesitates even at that point. But that's that's signifying that Chiron will continue to to grow into his own and it's a really vulnerable moment because Juan is like, just trust me, you know, just like lay back. And then Juan explains when he was in Cuba and he says, you know, running around. That lady was like running around, catching all ball that light in moonlight. Black boys look blue. You blue. That's what I'm going to call you blue. So what do you think he he meant by that? That that all I black boys no look idea. blue. See, and, and I struggled with that one. So I, I use the Internet to help me a little bit. But this is what my interpretation is. I, I think it's about how we as as people can't let our settings shape who we are. Uh, at a certain point in life, Chiron has to decide for himself who he will be and not let anyone else make that decision for him. That's what Juan tells him. The moonlight could either 
refer to like the setting around Chiron, like the the moonlight covers everything around him. Uh, so don't let your your setting of this poverty ridden Miami of everyone around you acting tough. Let don't let that deter you from being who you truly are, because you, at the end of the day, you need to make the decision about who you want to be. So that's one one read on it. Or it, the moonlight could be the idea that we're we're all not that different. So we all may you know act tough, act hard, act soft, act vulnerable, whatever. But in the moonlight, we're all blue. We're all the same color. I shouldn't say we, but I mean in this context, at a certain point, we're all people. Um, and I, I I think that that's kind of what what it meant is that do you agree with that at, at some point sure that makes sense okay yeah and then um i mean the only other, other thing i have is just how important juan was as a father figure in chiron's life uh how important justin are positive reinforcements in the life of someone struggling with their sexual orientation <laughs> very <laughs> important <laughs> yeah but can you slightly elaborate if you if, if if you can? Sure. I mean, I think we all need positive uh, reinforcement and role models in our life. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, most of us want to be loved. We want some sort of connection with another human or soul. You know, we, we want to feel needed, uh, but not be a burden. We want to be celebrated. Um, and that's not easy to come by. Even... Um, it's even more difficult for a person that's growing up in a hateful community with no real sense of, of self-worth. So I can I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that we all need someone to help us on that journey. Right. Yeah, I think that, yeah, just having the acceptance and that love is is super important and letting letting people know that it's going to be okay and that this isn't the end of the world. And especially in high school, especially that, that, that pivotal time when you're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, it's, I think it's just paramount. So, yeah. Um, but anyways, I, I wanted to keep it kind of short, but uh, do you have anything else to kind of add on there? I do not. That's like, that's like, I'm over. You're like, okay. <laughs> so letter grade, what do you give uh, moonlight? I give it a perfect. Yeah, I give it an A plus. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I think Barry Jenkins is great, phenomenal, whatever. And I love every cast member in, in said movie film. So this week we are going to do something special for the episode. I was able to sit down with a really good friend of mine, Mr. Ian Fulton. Ian is a gay African-American male who grew up here near Seattle and has a ton of life experience. Um, I asked Ian some questions about Moonlight to gain his perspective on the impact of this film, and I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to the Don't Be Crazy Movie Podcast. Occasionally, we are blessed with a beautiful work of film that means so much more than entertainment. Moonlight is a story that questions what it means to be a man, how your surroundings can shape your life, and ultimately, what it is like to love yourself for who you truly are. As a heterosexual white male who grew up in the suburbs, I will never truly know the struggles, pain, pleasure, joy, or any of the emotions involved growing up as a gay African-American male in an area where it is not widely accepted to be who you are. In order to continuously educate myself, I decided then to reach out to a really good friend of mine who never ceases to amaze me on how insightful and how optimistic he will always be. Ian Fulton is a homosexual African-American male. In order to understand the impact that Moonlight as a film had on someone different than me, I have the pleasure of having him here today to discuss the movie. Hey, Ian, how's it going? Good. How's it going? I'm good, man. 
thank you for taking the time sitting down with me today. Uh, I think this is awesome. Yeah, I agree. I'm uh, very honored to be here and I'm very thankful uh, that you invited me to come on to talk about this subject. Totally, man. Uh, so when was the last time you saw Moonlight? <laughs> today, actually. Very good. Cool. I, I also watched it today again. Uh, <laughs> is this your first time watching it? or Second time watching it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I saw it uh, on an airplane uh, coming home from Costa Rica. Uh, I saw it another time. And then I think today was my third time. But this third time for me was really, really personal and it just felt good because I could focus on the movie instead of having like an airplane distract me or whatever. So it, it really, really hit me and it affected me. Um, when you first watched this movie, what were your thoughts? My initial thoughts was, and wow, amazing. Uh, as a black gay man who can relate to it, uh, it's very something that's been really missing in the African-American uh, community is a uh, representation of homosexuality and the struggle of growing up and being accepted. Um, it's still a very taboo uh, issue in the community, um, especially, you know, depending on where you are down South, it's still a big deal. Um, so we're, so having a movie like that, it's a future, a feature film where uh, we're, it's being highlighted um, it was great. I initially thought it was amazing. And even now I still think it's amazing, especially with everything that's going on. Why is this an important film for not only the LGBTQ community, but also for black people everywhere? Um, I feel like this is a very important situation because of like what's going on right now in the community. I feel like, there's a lot of homophobia within the black community. Um, so it's very important for us to have the conversation. It's one of those things where um, I feel like as a black man and a gay black man, it's one of those things where I feel like uh, in the black community, we're fighting right now for equality. We're seeing all the marches that are going on all around the country uh, to be considered equal. But what we're not seeing is the same support going towards the LGBTQ community. Um, I feel like we still have a long ways to go before uh, both are being considered equal. Um, and I feel like that's an issue within the Black community is how can you, as a Black person, uh, with all the stuff that's gone on in the community and what we're still fighting for, put down anybody else uh, in the LGBTQ community who's also considered a minority, uh, who's also fighting for equality. I just uh, so this movie was very important. As I mean, even till today, it's still um, is very um, important. I think it hits home. It just shows. Uh, the fight that's still going on. So it was very, it's just very important because of the conversations that we're having. I don't want the LGBTQ com uh, community to feel that they're being pushed to the side because of the Black Lives Matter. I mean, this is still a big, everything that's going on is still very important. So this movie hits on both aspects of everything that's going on. Uh, wh what was it like for you growing up? 
honestly, for me growing up, it was very, it was different. I grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods. Um, I didn't have the struggle uh, as some other black, you know, a lot of other black people had to gone through. For me, it was more understanding at a very young age that I was gay. I knew from the time I was in fourth grade that I was gay. Um, but then also knowing that I had parents who weren't as accepting. Um, so it caused me to have to hide my sexuality uh, until I was 20, until 1920. Yep. And so for me, it was uh, it was a struggle. I wanted to be able to date. I wanted to be able to not feel like I had to hide away who I really was. And then I also felt bad for the women that I decided to date <laughs> through that time period because I kind of felt like I was holding them back and I couldn't provide more for them. So I felt bad that uh, I kind of led them on in this journey for me to be who I was. I had to deal with my mom being uh, coming out to, or coming up to me and asking me if I was gay when I was 13 and me saying no, even though at that time I knew I was. And her response being, you know, that's good. I love you, but I would disown you as my son. So that was kind of the, some of the struggles I had to deal with as a 13-year-old hearing this and knowing that I could never be myself with my mother. Uh, and then my stepdad was a ordained minister. So it was one of those things where it was kind of like I can't really talk to him about it. I mean, they had books in the house. I still remember seeing bookshelves in my house that said they had books that were like how to how to raise a homosexual kid. And they had this on display in the house. So it was kind of it was a very interesting time to be living in the house with folks like that. We never just never talked about it. My mom was in denial. My stepdad knew and he definitely joked about it a lot. Every time I would bring a guy around, it was always, oh, so is this your new boyfriend? Uh, which then my mom would respond, stop that. You know, he's not gay. Uh, and I just wanted to be like, yes, I am gay. I am very gay, but not saying anything. And then walk, me just not saying anything, and I would walk away from the situation. And then recruit, it would create this huge divide in my house because then my mom would be upset, and then I'm upset, and then my stepdad thinks it's funny. This happened from the time I was 13 until the time I graduated and moved out of the house. Uh, when I got my first place and decided to come out and I didn't tell my parents when I came out, but then I moved back home at 21. <laughs> and at that point, I just didn't care. I was just myself. I didn't hide who I was. So stepdad figured it out really quickly. And my mom stayed in denial uh, uh, for a couple more years until and she you know, unfortunately passed away. But you know, talking to her friends, they said that she knew and she had accepted it. Um, I think for her, but when I was 20, she had a lesbian friend who I think taught her a lot. And that helped my mom be able to understand the everything. And so my mom was at that point, I was dating a guy who ended up becoming my husband and she met him before she passed. And I feel like she knew uh, that he was my boyfriend. Uh, she would invite him over to things like Thanksgiving and then Christmas dinner and things of that nature. She would call him up for advice for stuff. So I think that she knew, uh, and that was her way of showing that she knew. And then, so it was, this very, it made me very happy. Still this day, it still makes me very happy to know that she knew and she had gotten over her uh, prejudices towards the LGBT community. 
what are some of the struggles that you as a homosexual black man face in today's society? That's a that's a quite a question because it's like as a black man, it's we're seeing people killed in the streets by police all the time. It's it's to the point now that I feel numb. I don't cry, I don't it's just it happens and it's just like, well, there's another black man killed in the streets. And that's how I view it. And it's really sad that I feel that way. And that's how it comes off to me that I'm numb to the situation. But then as a gay man who doesn't feel quite accepted in the LGBTQ community as a black gay man, it's also been hard. I feel like black people in the LGBTQ community are seen as less than. (laughs) It's been very interesting as a newly single man to see it as a whole. I see a lot of LGBTQ up at these protests, and then it makes me wonder how they will actually speak to their Black friends or speak about their Black friends behind their backs or when nobody's around, because there's a very there's a lot of hatred in the LGBTQ community towards minorities. So it's very interesting because I feel like I'm in this weird space where I feel like I'm not accepted by the black community as a gay man and I'm not accepted as in the LGBTQ community as a black man. It's very interesting. I fight with this all the time. So I do love the gay community. I love the black community. I just wish that everybody can just be more accepting. And the thing is, that's me talking as a black man. Black women have even worse. I feel like black women are the ones who are definitely the ones who struggle the most out of all this. I I can't even imagine the struggle as a black woman and a gay black woman at that. It's just, I, I, uh, there's a lot there. So I have a bad, but I, I, I don't want to make it seem like it's really bad for black men. Like I said, black women, black trans women, definitely they get it the worst. And I feel, <laughs> I wish I could shine more light on that issue because it's definitely something that needs to be spoken more about. In the movie, uh, Barry Jenkins uses a strong stereotype for for what makes a masculine African-American man. Uh, you have to be tough as nails. You have to live this kind of gangster life. You have to either deal drugs or, or get money whatever you, way you can. You talk about your conquests with women, and that's all a stereotype. Growing up in the 80s or 90s, I imagine that that is amplified because the gay community is is not as predominant as it is now and people aren't accepting of change now. So in the film, do you think that, and even in, in your personal life, do you think that the stereotype for African-American masculinity made it harder for, for Chiron or for maybe someone like you to show their true sexual identity um, as opposed to maybe just being like a white masculine male? Oh, 100%. Uh, I feel like it's definitely one of those things things where in the black community masculinity is a huge thing it's one of it's just a thing of the more manly you are uh the more accepted you are so um for me growing up i definitely tried to be more masculine i am masculine as it is but it was definitely more of like i don't want to give off that persona of being gay i did so many things to make sure that i uh, fit in and that I fit in with the other black kids at my school. The rumors were out there. I slept around with some people. The rumors were out there. But 
it was uh, one of those things where I felt like to play off, play it down, I had to dress a certain way. I definitely had more baggier clothes. I definitely tried to be cool. Oh, I got my you know, FUBU clothes and uh, you know, I got the, yeah, I got the fat one. I got my Timberlands. You know, I've got to fit in with my people. You know, that's kind of like how it was. And not saying that I didn't like that style because I love that style, but it also was one of these things where I felt like the more I dressed like that, the less that they will look at me as being gay. And, you know, like I said, 13, having my mom say those things to me, it was definitely one of those things where it was eye opening, where I was like, I can't, I have to do everything possible to make sure that. I give off that I'm straight to my parents. Uh, I didn't want to even know what the consequences would have been had I came out at 13 because I was afraid of being kicked out of the house at a young age. My parents had brought up military school before when I was in fifth, when I was 15. And I was super nervous about coming out, being shipped off to military school. So it was things of like that nature of being, making sure I was very masculine. Everything was a thought process, how I walked. I still do that to this day. I still think about how I walk. I still think about hand motions. I still think about, there's just things that even though I'm out and I'm very proud to be gay, I still do these things to not come off as gay. It's because that's just how I was programmed as a young, when I was younger. So, so definitely, um, definitely made it harder to, I can't imagine living in the South as a gay black man. And especially some people you can't hide, hide it. You just can't. Um, I can't even imagine trying to fit in with, you know, living in Seattle is different. The black population here is pretty small. It's not that big. So fitting in here with the other black kids wasn't so hard. It, my high school alone, we, had a pretty small number of African-Americans. So for me to fit in there, it was no problem. But being somewhere in the South where it's predominantly black people, I I cannot even imagine just how hard it had to be to just be, just to fit in and be, you know, straight acting, talk the lingo, dress a certain way, uh, make sure you didn't have hand motions or, you know, Make sure you walk, you know, a certain way. Make sure I just can't even imagine. I don't know if I would have been able to mask it. What advice would you like to give anyone struggling with their identity? My advice is just to be yourself. It will be, it's definitely not easy, but leaning on friends and your closest friends, uh, even the gay community, I know I've talked down a little bit about how blacks are in the gay community, you know, how we're treated, but the gay community as a whole is very, for example, I'll say the pride parade. I love the pride parade because at the pride parade, it's all about love. It doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter if you're seven foot zero and, you know, 400 pounds. It doesn't matter. You are loved there. That's why I always tell people who are even, on the fence if they should come out. Come to the Pride Parade and enjoy the weekend as a whole because there's so many events and it's just about love. You would feel like you would see the love in the community and how just it's amazing. Um, everybody there is accepting. If you're looking to come out, that's a great way to just be yourself. You can dress how you want. 
You can dress up in drag. You can <laughs> wear nothing. You can whatever you want, whatever you are into and how you want to feel. That's the perfect time to just be yourself. So, and then from there, that would just boost your, um, that will just boost you up. You'll become I mean, a stronger person. You'll just feel like you can do whatever because now you've got the support of thousands of people instead of just a couple of friends. I mean, your friends are great, but when you have the support of other people who are like you too, uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Ian, thank you so much for taking the time talking to me today. I'm so glad I got to take this opportunity to talk with you. Uh, I'm glad, you know, we can have you on the show. It was something I thought was important for this tumultuous situation we're in right now as a country, but it, it's also hopeful. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate you inviting me on. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation. It was a very great conversation. It was definitely a conversation that's been needing to happen. And I want to say thank you for highlighting this film uh, during Pride Month, as well as what's going on with the country right now, uh, with the you know the Black Lives Matter. So this is perfect time to highlight this film. Excellent, thank you, my friend. Before we go, we just want to let everyone out there know that you are loved by someone somewhere. Uh, if you or anyone that you know struggles with sexual or gender identity, there is help. There are numerous resources available for you to use. You can visit the TrevorProject.org, TeachingTolerance.org and gsanetwork.org. All tremendous resources for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zachdale60, where you can share your thoughts with us and we'll discuss them on the show. You can even tell us what what movie we should do next for our, for our next episode. It'll be amazing. And especially if it's over the top or Iron Eagle with the good stuff, no more of the serious nonsense. We need the good shit. Starship Troopers. Jaws the Revenge, you know. This guy knows what I'm talking about. Uh, also check out the Geek Legacy Podcast with David, Randy, and myself. So much fun. And we also have the Pixelated Podcast if you're interested in the video games. That's with Stephen K. Janes and one Justin Cavender. How about that? Busy, busy, busy. Just please, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. And have a happy Pride Month. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.